I've been waiting for two years to start this series. We're kicking off a brand new series called The Case for Christ. And if you have not watched the movie or if you haven't read the book, it centers on the life of a skeptic named Lee Strobel who was married to a woman that met some really kooky people called Christians that invited her to go to a Bible study, and she became a Christian at their church, and Lee Strobel thought she absolutely lost her mind. How many of you that rings true to your experience? Like people that, you know, and um, so he set out as an award-winning investigative journalist with the Chicago Tribune to write a story exposing Christianity out of compassion to save his wife. And so he set out on a two-year quest And as he's examining the evidence and crisscrossing the country, getting ready to write this story, he discovers some very bad news. The evidence starts to stack up. And so in a scene in the movie, uh, the religion editor, a friend of his, um, Lee Strobel's friend, Kenny London, comes to him as Lee is staying late at work one night. So in our culture, most people have not done that. In fact, what they do is they just sort of inherit a story from our culture. There are lots of people in our culture that think Jesus is an outdated religious idea. Or Jesus is a strong-arm tactic to try to get people to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Or he's someone that is weaponized by political parties. What better way to get people to vote for your agenda than to say, Jesus himself is on board with my particular philosophy and platform. And a lot of people think Jesus is a grand fairy in the sky. We're starting this four-week series called The Case for Christ because what we want to do is we want to investigate the real Jesus and to help people to go on a pilgrimage to encounter the real Christ. So I mentioned it's a four-week series. I'm doing the first three weeks, and Lee Strobel himself is going to be coming the fourth week. Now, one thing I want to let you know that we're doing is I want you all to bring your friends because after the third service, the last Sunday in September, we're going to have a baptism service where those who have been willing to investigate Jesus, to follow the story, investigate the facts, are going to have an opportunity to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their lives. And so what we're going to do the first three weeks, we're going to be looking at three back-to-back stories of people who were not believers— who encountered Jesus, and they had a barrier. We're going to find that the barrier that they had between them and Jesus is the same barrier that we often have today in our culture. And so the the story that we're going to look at today is found in John chapter 4, and it starts this way. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Hey, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, John says. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink— You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with the wells deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as it also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, okay, but first, go back and call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, I want you to come out here and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, please eat something. Please eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And many of the Samaritans, John tells us, of that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Now, the barrier that this woman had between her and believing in God is the same question so many of us have today. And it's this question, has Jesus forgotten about me? I'm going to be honest, I don't encounter many atheists. Every once in a while, I do. But what I do find, and I fall into this category sometimes, people that believe in God, but that God has taken his eye off of my life, and he's obviously paying attention to someone else. Because there's no possible way that these particular things and hardships and disappointments could have happened if he was actually engaged and in the game. And so we ask the question, or we say to ourselves, if there is a God, this deity sure doesn't care about me. And that's what this woman was thinking. And how do we know that? And I want you to pay attention here. It's because Jesus purposely went through Samaria. And you're like, how does that show us that God cares about us, that he went through Samaria? I'm glad you asked. Here, look at the map. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians, the most powerful country in the world, went over to Jerusalem and invaded Jerusalem and took away the best and the brightest. They basically took all of the intellectual um, copyrights, the, everything about the country, the best of what it is. They purged it, and then what they did is they took people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they left, not the B team, they didn't leave behind the C team, or the D team, or the F team, or the G team, the people that they left behind couldn't even make the H team. These were the hillbilly, uneducated, uninfluential people. The people that went off to Babylon were the NFL. 
But the people that stayed behind were the XFL. Those of you who are football fans, you know what I'm talking about. No one thought that the people who stayed behind and intermarried with all the pagans, that when the Jews that were in Babylon, the ones that were faithful to God, actually came back, that like the XFL, it's actually going to be around two years from now. But it survived. These people congregated in an area called Samaria, and they were called Samaritans. And when the Jews that were faithful to the law came back, they realized that people intermarried with the pagans, and they weren't following all of the Bible. And so they started hating these people. They hated these people the way God hates Dallas fans. (laughs) It's true. John chapter 32, look it up. It's in there. It's like the half-filled McCoys. The Samaritans would grab a pig that was unclean in the eyes of God, sneak down, and throw it in the temple. And so the Jews would be so ticked off, they would go back and they would kill it. And so for 450 years, this went on. Finally, they said, you think we're going to hell. We think you're going to hell. Time out. We're going to call a truce. You guys are never going to come down here. We are never going to go in your area. We're going to stay separate, but we're going to live at peace now. And so, but what we read in John chapter 4 is that he left Judea, went back once more to Galilee, and he had to go to Samaria. No, he didn't. Look at this map. Jesus did not have to go to Samaria. The way Jews in the south, the region of Judea, The way they got up to Galilee is you see this line here, which represents the Jordan River that went from the Dead Sea in the south all the way to the Sea of Galilee to the north. You would go up the Jordan River Valley. Jesus had to go to Samaria, not because it was an easier route, because he had something that he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was to let the Samaritans know that no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how much they feel like they're outside of God's reach, they matter to God, and we do too. That's the whole point of this story. A Samaritan woman matters to God. And if you've ever questioned that, this story answers that. You want to know how? Because Jesus was a real live being that actually lived, and he went through every single thing that you've gone through. Verse 6 says he was tired from the journey. Verse 7 says he was thirsty. Verse 31 says his, his, his disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. You need the carbs. You're not paying attention to your macros. Jesus looks at his disciples. He's like, guys, relax. I'm doing keto. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong here. But he had incredible empathy because not only this was he just like us, but every single thing. Every pain we ever experience, loss, the the, the feeling of being betrayed, the pain of a relationship not working. The book of Hebrews tells us he felt exactly the way we feel. Now, the other thing that we learn from this story is that Jesus has the ability to change broken lives. Christianity works. Now look at verse 29, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You want to know? So the way when you're writing to Jews, Jews had a poetry form um, called parallelism, which, which would, essentially it goes like this. 
you say something and then you repeat it, or you say something, but the understanding is when you say it, it's repeated again. Or, or, so, and so what, what John is communicating here is that this woman goes back and tells her friends, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And then in parallelism, the, the assumption then, the underlying um, thought is, he told me everything I ever did, but I felt loved. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel judged. Oftentimes people will go to churches and they're hurting and broken. And sort of like when you go to the doctor and you have bronchitis and you're like, dude, I need a Z-Pack. And the doctor starts yelling at you because you have bronchitis. You're like, I went to you because I'm sick because you can make me better. And that's been the experience for a lot of people with the church. I come, I need help, but now you're shaming me because I'm coming here needing help. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at her, tells her everything she's ever done, not because he wanted her to feel shame, but because there's no way you can grow in life until you own and acknowledge something that you've done and then have the grace and the power to overcome that. One of my friends on Instagram is a mom in Los Angeles that posted this video of her in the pool with her infant daughter. I think this video conveys the power of the story. Take a look. <laughs> Are you cleaning it? Is that the most adorable video? Oh my gosh, I just, oh my gosh, that is the most adorable video. Question, do you think at any time that they were in the pool that her daughter peed in the pool? (laughs) Yes, of course, right? Now, if I had a pool sitting out there and it was super hot and as we're leaving the church, I said, hey, just wanted everybody to know, if you want to, you can take a dip in the pool, but there's urine in it. (laughs) Nobody would take me up on this. But that mom, because of her love for her daughter was willing to sit in that pool. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, and what what you miss is in the original Greek, it's in arche ein halagos, kai halagos, ein prostantheon in Greek. And what it's saying is, Jesus, prostantheon, is literally in the face of God, like literally one with God, that's what John is saying. And the power of the gospel of John and what's being communicated is God, Jesus, literally in the face of God, so close to God in holiness. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, no one can see God's face and live because of our unholiness Jesus is in the face of God, and then it says, and he, in verse 14, came to earth. 
and dwelt among us. Wait, if I can't even see God and live, the one who was in the face of God with holiness and splendor comes to earth now in the middle of our brokenness and our sin and our mess. And so he sees this woman not as someone who was a prostitute or was lacked character, but he saw her and felt her hurt and felt her brokenness. And so when he said what he said, she didn't feel judged or shame. She felt loved. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And then the whole town came out, and they all believed in Jesus. And that's what we're going to do with this series. We're going to help people understand these barriers that they feel are not real. So I have some homework, okay? Everybody, we're back, back in the school routine. We're going to have some homework as a church. I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one, I want you to invite your friends, okay? Now, I'm an introvert. This is hard for me. Um, but I am going to invite a whole bunch of people to this series because I want them to come and experience it. And the easiest way to do this is I need everybody to get your phone out right now. Do that. Go ahead, pull your phone out. Go ahead. Pull your phone. Do you want to go to hell? Okay. Here we go. Talk about barriers going to hell. I want you to take a picture right now of this photo right here. And then what I want you to do is before the end of the day, particularly if you can do this before you leave, I want you to post this on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and just say, hey, I don't know if you're doing anything. I would love for you to be my guest to come here, Lee Strobel. And if you want to use a hashtag, what I want you to do is I want you to use the hashtag case for Christ, hashtag come and see. Just like this woman, the Samaritan woman, come and see. Now, number two, the next thing that I want you to do is I either want you to watch or I want you to re-watch the Case for Christ movie. It is available on Netflix. It's also available on demand, iTunes, all of that. I've been a pastor for 30 years. How many Christian movies do you think I've recommended? Zero. You want to know why? They're terrible. They literally are terrible. They're just so bad. And part of it is because when you have the Hollywood machine and you have venture capital funding, you can raise $100 million in investments with a, blo uh, with a blockbuster cast and multiple screenwriters and producers to get a movie that can raise that kind of money. The Christian movies that have been produced, some of them have been okay, but you, it's hard to break into theaters when you only have a $2 million budget going up against a $100, $500 million budget. This movie is different. I honestly, this movie is great. I don't know if you have, our family, we loved watching Parenthood. And one of the gals from Parenthood is Lee's wife. The script is outstanding. So what I want you to do is if you're a part of a small group here at the church, I want you during the month of September to watch this movie with your group. If, I, if you, your family, everybody, if you can corral them and you have a choice to pick a movie, watch something on demand, I want you to watch the Case for Christ movie. 
And the last thing that I want you to do is I want you to begin praying about our baptism service at 1230 on September 29th. For those of you who have not yet taken that step of faith, I want you to pray about getting baptized on that day. You've been here. You've been thinking about it. Other things have been on your plate. We get it. We get busy. But just like that scene from the movie, stop blaming people. Stop blaming the church. Stop blaming God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. Make that decision. Explore the case for Christ and get baptized. Now, we have copies of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, that will be here next week. We sold out of all of our copies. But we will have them. Obviously, you can get, that, get them on Amazon. But for those of you who have not become a disciple of Jesus yet and you want the evidence, this book is a great read. The books that we have next week, they'll be cheaper than what you can get on Amazon, but please buy it from Amazon and start reading it. If you're here and you want a book and you've gone through a hard time and you don't have the money, We'll pay for it. Just ask for one of the complimentary copies. We'll give it to you. Do the investigation. Let's follow the facts. Let's bring people here and let them discover the real Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for coming into the muck and the mire of this world, for looking at us and seeing us and loving us. Help us to experience the real you and help us help our friends to experience the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.